Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Newman. And Stephen Craig. And this is episode 45. Yep. All right, so uh, continuing on from last week, we uh, the Jeep radio yeah. update. Um, I think last time I said I was going to actually measure the signals and stuff that comes off the radio, um, off the chip. Uh, I did that. Yeah, and you actually, last week you had actually found the right chip. Yep, found the right chip. Yep. The uh, TDA7429L. Mm-hmm. Um, so the interesting thing is in that effects loop that, that goes out to a capacitor and comes back, yep. the voltage levels there are very interesting. Um, it's a uh, 4.65 volt DC offset. Which for the is audio ha- signal. Yeah, which is kind of like half scale. Yeah, it's half yeah, it's half. It's a little bit higher than half the rail. Yeah. Um and it's an eight hundred millivolt peak peak audio signal. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I've basically figured that out by um inputting into the chip a one kilohertz sine wave and then just measured what that was. Right, so, until you got distortion, right? Yeah, until I got distortion. And that was the the wave. Um so that's all fine and good, except the problem is the Bluetooth audio adapter is designed to be plugged in through speakers, mm-hmm. and so it's only got like a 50 millivolt DC offset, which is probably just like you know measuring you know measuring offsets, right? And then it's got a 1.9 volt peak peak at max volume. Yeah, um, yeah. So that they're kind of not compatible because if you if you pump that into that chip, it's nothing's going to work. You actually don't get anything because you just overload the hell out of it. No, it's below the DC offset. Oh, oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Steven um, helped me design basically a differential op-amp setup. Yeah, you get to get get into the analog world. Yeah. Um, so I don't know which op-amp we're going to use yet. Um, Steven said I can just use pretty much whatever since it's, you know, under 44 kilohertz and all that well, stuff. Well, okay, y- yes, yes. The answer is is in general, yes. In other words, you don't have to go out and buy like a crazy audio op-amp because Fine this is... Fine gold op-amps? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I I told Parker a TL072, a TL082, or an any LM4558. Well, you don't need power. You, yeah, <laughs> the, you don't. No, that's like the, it's like the 7805 of the op-amp world. <laughs> oh, yeah, or a 741. Or, Do two, not use two. a 741. They are garbage. Yep. Yeah, so like any jelly bean audio op-amp will do, or not even audio, but like just low noise. Uh, when doing audio stuff, it doesn't hurt to get a JFET input just because the noise is low. Yep. So really, if you're looking for audio stuff, start by saying, is it a JFET input? And you're probably going to get a good op amp from that. So if people out there on Twitter, tweet me at Longhorn Engineer, um, what op amp should I use for this thing? Um, but yeah, so it's like it's got a basically the feedback loop, basically make sure it has, you know, um, basically, we'll cut the waveform in half. Mm. So from you know 1.9 volt to 800 millivolts, it'll probably be around 850 millivolts if it, we do just straight half. But that's fine. Yeah. And then do the DC offset. We're putting in on the non-inverting side of the op amp a DC offset with a voltage divider. Basically, divide the rail in half. Right. So so what happens is you raise the output by your 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 DC offset. Yep. Now you're putting your audio signal into the inverting side. Correct. So you are inverting it, but it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. So you're good. Yep. So basically you're adding a DC offset and your signal which is cut in half, which 
it is important to note for people who don't know, cutting it is still gain. Yep. It's just a gain less of less than, less than one. one. Less than unity. Less than oh yeah. Unity. There's there that you word. Go. There there's an SAT word for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's still considered gain. Yes, it is. Um. Yeah, that's all I have on that. Cool. So, uh, so I had a, a thought earlier this week. Uh, oh, this thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, so I was. I've, this I've actually had this thought a long time ago, but it but it kind of came back to me, and I po- proposed it to Parker, and he's like, "Why don't you do it?" I was like, okay. I, I just want to see it built. <laughs> well, okay. So, so here's the thing: if you take a, re- a resistor standard, uh, in other words. Uh, you can purchase these ultra expensive boxes that have a resistor in it that is a, an exact resistor. And you I say, open it up, and it's just like one carbon film resistor, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like been measured perfectly to be that that resistance. Maybe you never know. Um, although the temperature coefficient would probably be all over the damn place. Yeah. So so okay. So these uh, these. Um, Resistor standards exist where you can buy like a 10K resistor and you put your multimeter on it and you can calibrate it to 10K. Yeah, how many digits your your multimeter goes to. Right, right. And you can get them down to almost any precision level you want. But I had a thought that if you take, let, let's say you take, uh, um, you want you want whatever resistor, you can, you, you can parallel and series resistors such that the the cumulative addition and parallelization or however you say it makes them that value. Yeah. But if you if you do it properly, you can actually use uh tolerance components such that they all stack together and you get a tighter tolerance component. In other words, if you take uh two resistors in parallel and you put those in series with two other resistors in parallel. parallel. All the same value, you get a resistor whose cumulative resistance is that resistance. In other words, for you're basically wash, trying to wash out any manufacturing tolerances. Right. So my thought was, what if we make a board that is a big matrix of tons of resistors of 0805 like 10 Ks? <laughs> yeah, right. Like well, I'm talking hundreds, maybe even thousands of resistors that all equal the value of that resistor. In other words, like if you take, say, a thousand 100K resistors and you series and parallel them such that they're all 100K, can you make a resistor standard yourself, basically? Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really cool idea. I really want you to make this thing just for, like, a thought experiment. Yeah. Um, I think next week we need to come back and, like, do the math on this. Yeah. And yeah. I, there's got to be, like, a limit as this as you grow... Because it's exponential since it's, it's a You get square. diminishing returns. Yeah, you get diminishing returns because this, this, this grid will grow exponentially in resistor size. Uh, right. And does, how many units do you get until you get to a point where, like, the next resistor you only gain, like, 0. 0.0001 ohm tighter tolerance? Well, okay, so here's the thing. And then what's acceptable as tight tolerance? Well, what's crazy about it, okay, so when, when manufacturers make resistors, and they put some kind of tolerance value, 1, 5, 10, 20, whatever percentage tolerance on there, they, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that is equally distributed across the entire batch that they make. Correct. So if you pull all of these resistors from a single reel, and the reels come in what? 5,000, 10,000. 10K, 10K, depends on the. Yeah. So if you pull all the resistors from one reel, you will not get an accurate result because that whole reel might be off of its value by however like much. Low 2%. Exactly. So my thought was if I have a matrix, a whole, like, let's, let's just pretend 10 rows and 10 columns. If I make every single row to be a resistor from a different manufacturer, can I smear the results across all of it such that I get, in general, a Gaussian result? And that way, with a certain percentage of confidence, let's say 5%, or I'm sorry, 95% confidence, we can agree that it's within the value that I asked for. I want to do those calcs because I think it sounds like fun. I think you're going to also need to add in the resistance of the traces in between. I was thinking about yeah. that. I was, and yeah. then I make know this, this Make exists. it like 10-ounce copper. <laughs> yeah, 10 ounce copper. Uh, also, uh, resistance of the fillets, because that's going to be important once you get to a certain insane size. The solder will have a slightly different resistance. Well, and if you put your multimeter leads onto it, you need to know how much those add with either pressure contact or how do you actually connect to this board to measure the resistor. Yep. And, so, also, and also I'm thinking is um, if you're trying to make something super precise for measuring this stuff, because two, this is something that's not even on the sheet. So, yeah. Ooh, yeah. secret. Secret stuff is when you have two dissimilar metals, you get a voltage difference between those two. That's correct. So if you have the solder, like SAC 305, and then enig-plated uh, enig copper, what kind of voltage difference do you get there, which will you'll be able that does that wash out over this entire ginormous board or doesn't does it not or doesn't does it even not does it even matter? <laughs> I don't well, know. <laughs> so all said and done, I don't think we even have the gear to be able to measure. No, this I kind need of like stuff. I but, need to but get theoretically like a, we could have, we could have fun with it. I'll see if I can score a six digit. Multimeter. Ooh. Yeah. We'll see. This is a this is a good project to do that for. Yeah. It, build this and then and then like get a six segment on like loan or something. So okay. Well, maybe someone in Houston's got one that we can borrow. Maybe. Well, I'm not sure. There's. I don't tons know if we have any listeners in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so a wait. Okay. Um, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Oh six oh three components, chip components, especially resistors. Uh, are the most bang for your buck, right? Yes, they are. Because 0402s are more expensive because of their size, Correct. and 0805s are more expensive because of their size. Yes, because right? they have more material. Right. So 0603, if you're wondering, that it, you get the best price breaks for those. Yes. So I'll probably do this 0603. Um, and I will let however many columns and rows in the matrix define how large the board is. So... Yeah. In general, how ridiculous I feel like getting with this. Yeah, I really want you to make like a 16 by 16 inch panel. That's all. It'd be like three reels of resistors. <laughs> oh, my God. That board would be so expensive. <laughs> and our production manager would hate me. Yep. <laughs> Especially if you were like, hey, that resistor is backwards. Matters. <laughs> I'm going to make all of them just random rotations. <laughs> uh. 
Oh man, so yeah, that's that's what I've been kind of thinking about this yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Um, ho- hopefully next week. I think we should have like graphs and and crap next week. I wonder if there's a way to automate dip trace so I don't have to place hundred. There's an eagle. There is. Yeah, you just write a little scripts. Uh, eagle. <laughs> I might have to do it in eagle just so I don't have to do part by part. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, because I think you'd have to write the script yourself because I don't think there's like a, a offset, copy offset script. You know, I should wait, write a script wait. to do that. This actually, dip trace has an auto place function. And if I just, so think about this. If it's just 0603 components and I make a square board and I tell it to auto place, it's probably going to place them in a matrix. You know what you should do is is I'll give you some some software like um like open source broadcaster and we can record your desktop as you do this. Yeah, we should totally do that. Yeah, and see how frustrating or not frustrating it is. Well, I'm sure as hell not gonna place a few <laughs> thousand resistors by hand. By hand. <laughs> no, let's let's do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Okay, and then I guess uh, on to RFO. That sounds great. Okay. So the first one is a analog EE times article. Um, why the zero ohm resistor? Oh I, yeah, yeah, I saw this. This is cool. Um, I think this would be a really good topic just to blab about because why do you use a zero ohm resistor? Okay, I have some interesting interesting things about zero ohm resistors because I've used a ton of them in the past. Um, zero ohm resistors. Here's what's what I feel is awesome about them. They're cheap. Yes. And so when you're making a prototype and you're, you know, either you, you, you don't have a lot of time to make the prototype or you're just unsure about certain functions of a chip or whatever, blah, 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 it doesn't cost any extra to lay down pads on a board. Yep. And then mark them as do not place. Yep. So if you have pads that are there on the board and you need to short it, solder in a zero ohm resistor i did that on so many chips where it was like oh i want to try this function i'm not really sure what it's going to do to my circuit i just solder in a zero ohm resistor or even even if i wasn't sure if i needed a pull up or a pull down i could put in both packages and then and then that and it oh man it saved my ass a lot of (laughs) i've I've used um zero ohms for doing fccce testing yeah so basically for whenever a connector went to the outside world, I'd put all in-series zero ohms yeah. so that if I needed to put in a ferrite bead, yeah. all I'd do is hot air the old one off and you know, put the ferrite bead on like at the the facility I'm doing the testing, yep, yep. and then bam, done, and then I just have to update the... The, the bill of materials. bill of materials at the end of the day. Right. Um, and that saved our baking a couple times with... Uh, with a RS forty five communication stuff, and 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 even if you were to put zero ohm resistors across almost all your nets, it still is cheap. Yep. And and on, for prototyping, it is so worth it. When you when you finally get your prototype done, then you go back, you roll the revision on your board, and you cut out whatever zero ohms you don't need anymore. Honestly, I feel like that's why they exist. Yep. And um, I've also seen a lot of people use them for doing uh one-sided PCBs. Yeah, yeah, So instead of doing a through-hole, like, jumper, you can just have a surface mount jumper. 
Yeah, as long as your trace fits between the pads. Yeah. The, but if you use like an 0805, yeah, most of get, the time you, you can, can get a couple. You can probably get two 10 mils underneath there. Traces. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of space. You could do a, do a bit of sneaking, but yeah, you could get in there. Yeah. Now here's the thing that's interesting. Zero. If you go look at the data sheet for a zero ohm resistor, it has a wattage rating. Yes, <laughs> and they have a wattage and a tolerance. That's that, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, and it starts to boggle plus the mind. minus ten percent on zero. Exactly. Doesn't make any sense. I, so it was funny. I was looking at that for I think the SSPS. I was using some zero ohm resistors in some places, and it was like, what's the difference between an eight eighth watt and a quarter watt zero ohm resistor? It, it all it all is based on the fact that they're not actually zero ohms. Correct. Well, if they were actually zero ohms, we've somehow figured out to quantumly tunnel electrons through this device to the other end. Or you just super cool it, right? When well, it, when, when, you get, when you get I like quantum tunneling the electrons through. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so so it's it's annoying, but you have to actually consider that. Yeah. Because you. You technically can burn up a zero ohm resistor. That'd be a lot of power. <laughs> it would have to be an enormous amount. But I, you know what? I bet you the SSPS could do it. Probably. The, the super simple power supply, for those yeah. who don't know. Yeah, we haven't worked on that thing in a long time. Yeah. I feel really bad for that project. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, cool article. Um, I'll post a link. Um, second article. This was on Hackaday, and it's uh, NASA wants space poop hackers. What? I know. Yep. Yeah, you said what, but uh, it's to design a system that will remove waste away from the human body where it cannot cause infection, but while you're in a spacesuit. <laughs> and so this is designed so that you can be in a spacesuit for multiple days, say on Mars. Okay. And where you, you know, you don't have a, you can't set up a Porter John outside. It's a space diaper. A s fancy space diaper. Well, I mean, it's NASA, so it's a super expensive space diaper. Yes. Um, so it has to operate in zero gravity and also has to operate under normal gravity. It has to operate under 4 to 5G, which is re-entry into the Earth. Um, it's interesting because they're only, they're only going to reward the person who comes up with the idea for th with 30K. Hmm. That's pretty inexpensive. Uh, well, I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're reaching out to, uh, I guess, the base that, that is willing to work for... You know, some people, you know, for, for a lot of a lot of the engineering base, 30K might be a whole lot of money. But for NASA, that's nothing. You yeah. Know? Well, that's that's what the typical engineer. It's like half half of your salary. Yeah. For yeah, an intro. Yeah. Right. Right. For for starting yeah. engineer. So yeah. if you can come up with the idea in six months and prototype it and fund it, that might be worth it. Oh, absolutely. No, 30K is not. We're not. I'm not trying to say that it's a small amount of money. No, 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 no. Like that, but for NASA, it is. <laughs> But it reminds me of a uh, – it's actually really funny. It reminded me of this Apollo 10 transcript. And it was really funny because I was actually going through the comments on Hackaday, and it reminded someone else, and they actually posted the link to the transcript. Oh, yeah? So I printed it out. Oh, made, great. He made my work easy. Um, so apparently Apollo 10 was the one where they went ar around the moon. Right. And then they came back. And it was I think Apollo 10 was actually the – was Apollo 10? Maybe Apollo 13. I think Apollo 10 was the one, the farthest a human's ever actually gone away from Earth. Oh, okay. Because they rounded farther away on the other side of the moon. I but it might have been Apollo 13, though, because they had all those technical issues. 
Well, 13 was where they were trying their best to use the gravity of the moon. Yeah. So maybe it was them. Yeah, maybe it was 13. Anyways, uh, that's besides the point. There's a transcript of their, their, all, all three of them are talking on the, uh, in the uh, lunar module yeah. or the command module, which is the cone one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the, uh, the, there's just like, this is like a transcript from, from NASA here, actually here in Houston. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, who did it? Who did what? What? Who did it? Where did that come from? <laughs> Give me a napkin quick. There's a turd floating <laughs> through the air. And then there's at the very bottom of the page is confidential. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, and then um and then and then like it goes on. It says, I didn't do it. It ain't one of mine. I don't think it's one of mine either. Mine was a little more sticky than that. <laughs> Throw that away. <laughs> and then and then one guy goes, God almighty. <laughs> <laughs> All three of them. Not me. It wasn't me. <laughs> no. Well someone someone had to, to to you know poo you know up in space. Uh, there's a lot of challenges you gotta think, you gotta in space. That's gotta be the most expensive for how expensive it is to get stuff into space. That's the most expensive waste material ever. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'll be interested to see who comes up with this idea. So uh, where's it going to be at? The uh, are, are all the ideas on Hackaday? Uh, no, it's on NASA. Oh, Hackaday on NASA. was just reporting on their contest. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, so you can go You can go get more information on NASA? Yeah, I'll, I'll post a link to that. Um, there was a new Bluetooth spec that came out. Okay. Which I didn't even know was coming out because they just came out with Bluetooth 4 LE. Mm-hmm. Um, four four point one or what it was. Anyways, it's called Bluetooth five. Uh, the general rundown is um, has longer range, faster speed, and larger broadcast messaging capability. So, so it's just like it's, it's just it's better just Bluetooth four. Yeah, just better better everything. Right. Well, do, do you know what the range is now? No idea. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, reporting the news. The news. It's longer. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then another important one is the explodey Samsung batteries that were catching people on fire and, you know, all that crazy stuff that was, what, two months ago? Something like that, yeah. Um, so these guys actually took apart a Note 7 and actually did a failure analysis. Who, who are these guys? Um instrumental.ai okay um it's these guys i didn't see a name maybe oh, i didn't look hard enough those guys those guys um they basically took one apart and actually measured like the space the battery had yeah and their phone was only 2 months old and it had already taken up it already swelled all the z depth in Ooh. their in their battery um so i got a quote here is um the ceiling is what they call this. Okay. So it's like you have the X and Y, which are the, the, the width and length of the battery, and then the height is called the ceiling. Okay. And so they, they usually say is in a cell phone or, for, or any lithium battery is you want about 10% ceiling because as the battery ages, it swells. Well, when they took theirs apart and it was only two months old, it had 0% ceiling. <laughs> it was already just compressed. It's already compressing that battery. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so uh, you could just say efficient use of space. Efficient use of space, yeah. Um, and they had, uh, and actually, the it was interesting is um, they had the aluminum chassis of this phone. 
is actually has a battery area that's actually milled out just for the battery to protect it. Mm. But they made the tolerances too small in that. Mm. And so it could swell into the sides as well. And that's how it happens. And that's how that's what it does. You know what I see this becoming? Um, I don't know what happened at, at UT, but at A&M, we had an ethics class. Yep. It was ethics for engineers. Yep. And what we, what we did was we took, I don't know, a couple handful of examples maybe five something like that and yeah, uh, like the space shuttle challenger yep and yeah several yeah they, where, where, I think every single one of those are the same yeah <laughs> yeah probably I, I think we had one about it was a skyscraper in new york that yep. if a certain hurricane came by then it could fall down yep. but there was only one guy in the entire world who knew that it could do that oh, so yeah, what does he one. do yeah. so I could see this becoming one of those textbook examples oh, yeah, where it was yeah, like, yeah. you have a battery and it's inside of this component and you're the guy who knows that. What do you do? Yeah. You know? Well, but, yeah. Well, at least there's closure on that. I think Samsung is actually doing the right thing. They're recalling every single one of them and they shut down that entire line. Yeah, well, just to replace it with something. Well, they're part, well I think they said that the Note line is done. Yeah, the Note's done. They're going to make something yeah, else. Yeah, the part called like, the binder. The binder. <laughs> the trapper keeper. Yeah, the trapper keeper. <laughs> Lisa Frank models. It has like u- unicorns and, and tigers and multicolors. <laughs> uh. No, so, um, how, what was it? Shoot. Oh, no, no, no. Um, I can't remember the, 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 um, I was in my ethics class. It was one of those, um, it was an automotive company that measured the, like how much it cost if a person that loses Ford. their life. It's Ford. Was it Ford? With a Ford Pinto, yeah. Right, yeah. They they measured how much it was for like an appendage. Uh, oh, like, I think that's actually GM. Was it? Yeah, I, Ford I was because it was the the Ford was the exploding Pinto's gas tanks. Right, right. Yeah, and they figured out that like a human life is worth X amount. Yeah, and they, they're like, okay, it's a couple million dollars to pay out, you know, and we have to do that like ten times a year. Right. Or it costs, you know, you know, two hundred million to do the recall. Right, right. And they ended up just, you know, not recalling the Pinto. <laughs> exactly, because they were willing to pay off yep. whatever medical bills are. I, uh, if water. you're dead, I don't, I don't, it's not a medical bill anymore. I don't know if anyone's actually paid, died in a Pinto accident, but maybe they have. Yeah. But 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 the Samsung thing is a bit different because it had it was so front and center. Yep. Like there was no option but to recall everything. Well, at least it, I guess the right thing would have been to do more testing to figure this out, but 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 <laughs> you know like every like college level class where they talk about batteries from here on out is going to be like make sure you have enough room for that battery. Yeah. You know, cuz well, it, it'll swell. Yeah, it'll swell. (laughs) (laughs) Battery engineering. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And so next week, we're going to have a super special podcast. I really hope. We're working really, really, really hard to get this. It's actually, we're hoping it's going to be a video cast. No, we're going to do it. So it's going to be a podcast, but it'll also have video that you can look later. Yep. Um, Really hoping that we can pull it off. We're trying really hard to get done. Um. Man, you make it sound like we work really, really hard. I've been actually working my ass off and getting this, shit, <laughs> this, 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 this thing next week working. No, right. it's going to be good. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're um, pushing for this. Make sure you 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 uh, stay tuned for it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so that'd be episode forty six. Probably several sections after that too. 
Yeah, we will. Yeah. yeah. And so that was uh, this episode of the MacFab Engineering Podcast, Ed. episode 45. Yep. We were your hosts, Parker Dillon. And Stephen Craig. Later, guys. Take it easy.